Chapter 9 of The Browns at Mount Hermon by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 Miss Brown at a Social Function. Lida Brownson was standing on the porch steps of the dining hall, waiting for Mary Brown to appear from her tent. Lida was a leading spirit among the dining room girls, and one who had made very cordial advances toward the outsider. She ran down the steps to meet her, calling out merrily, Are you all prinked, ready for the fray? Then, as she gave a swift glance at the trim figure in a fresh white apron and with hair and hands in exquisite order, she added, "'You look as though you might be going to a party instead. How do you contrive to make a white apron so effective? Yours isn't a bit more furbelowed than mine, but the air it takes on is something to envy. I've been waiting for you,' she added, linking her arm in Mary's and sauntering with her down the long piazza with an air of comradeship. "'We are going to have a meeting all our own this afternoon, we girls, right here on the porch. Won't that be unique?' and we want you to come. We are planning for a lovely time." "'What kind of a meeting?' Mary Brown asked in an interested tone, trying not to show that she was also amused. Nothing connected with her very unique experiences interested this young woman more than the hearty way in which these girls worked at making her one with themselves. They were being continually handicapped, she knew, because of her supposed ignorance of all things connected with their world, yet they struggled bravely. Oh, just a talking meeting, very informal, of course. Being here on the porch it would have to be informal. After it is over we are going to serve refreshments. Won't that be an original conclusion to a religious meeting?" Oh, is it a religious meeting? Well, I suppose it might be called so. At least I hope we shall not be irreligious," with a winsome little laugh. You know we girls don't get a chance to attend the eleven o'clock meetings, nor the earlier ones very often, and we thought we would like one of our very own. Some of the older ladies are coming to help us. Mrs. Reese, for one. Have you met her? She is charming. Just home from Japan and other interesting places where she went to visit mission fields. She's a delightful talker, knows all about those faraway places and a good many other matters. I am sure you will enjoy her. Then there will be several of our others, and our own Faye Willis, of course, who is always a host in herself. Don't you think she is lovely? You will come, won't you?" Mary Brown's first impulse was to plead letters to write. She was disposed to shrink from any more religious meetings. But the evident anxiety in Lida Brownson's eyes made her hesitate. After all, why should she stay in her tent to write a letter to Richard Wade, a trying letter which would exhaust all her nervous energy, instead of meeting halfway this interesting girl's evident effort to do her good? She gave the coveted promise and laughed over it in her tent that afternoon, while she exchanged her plain collar for a more dressy one and made one or two little additions to her toilet. This is only a semi-religious meeting, she told herself, sandwiched with refreshments. I ought to go to discover how they manage things of this sort. The scene was new and strange to her. The bright-faced young women in pretty summer attire fluttering about on the long leaf-shaded porch with the ever-present sunshine filtering in among the branches. It was a very cheerful, she had almost said Mary, company, with nothing about them in voice or speech to suggest what Mary Brown had been in the habit of calling reverence. Yet they certainly did not suggest irreverence. They were simply glad, with a gladness that ever and anon bubbled over into laughter. "'Is this a good time or a religious meeting?' queried one of the younger girls, just after having indulged in an appreciative giggle over some bright retort. Lida Brownson answered her quickly, "'It is a good time and a religious meeting, my dear. I object to the or in your question. Don't disconnect good times and religion, please. Neither is worth much if they are of such a nature that they can't be put together.' Over this remark Mary Brown pondered. It also was new to her. Yet it undoubtedly was a religious meeting, though not of the stereotyped kind. The young people talked as informally and with as little embarrassment as though it were simply a social function. But the topics which they introduced were as surprising to her as all the rest. "'Mrs. Reese,' said one, turning to the missionary traveller, "'Alice Upton accuses you of saying that Japanese Christians are more satisfactory than those at home. 
Did you say so? And if you did, tell us why, please. Isn't it a reflection upon our great and glorious country? Perhaps it is, dear, said the genial and much-traveled lady. But the truth has to be spoken sometimes, you know, even though it jars. As to the why, I think one reason is because they have a way of taking things for granted that we puzzle over. They believe, you see, just what the Bible says, and act accordingly. Oh, Mrs. Reese, don't we? Not always, I am afraid. We fuss a great deal over matters that with them are foregone conclusions, because, as they read the Bible, it has left no room for discussion. Perhaps, said one of the girls with a sigh, it is because we have so many unsettling things to think about that do not disturb them. I don't suppose, for instance, that the amusement question is forever popping up there to be considered as it is with us. I'm sure I think it is the most perplexing of all our questions. This remark caused Mary Brown's mental vision to be more distinctly on the alert. What had the amusement question, if it had a question, to do with religion? What did the next speaker mean? She was a tall, fair girl with soft, full eyes that had possibilities of trouble hiding behind their depths. Why need we keep questioning, she asked. Why can't we just float along with the current and let things go? Lida Brownson was sitting beside her, and at this word she laid a cool, firm hand over the girls as she said gently, You know, Allie, dear, what the boats do when they float with the current. They keep going downstream all the while. Would you like that in your Christian life? The girl sitting opposite answered for her, speaking with energy. I don't, I know, but it exactly expresses my experience. I am floating downstream. Mrs. Reese, what is the matter when one is distinctly conscious of losing ground and doesn't want to do it? A general diagnosis hardly answers for this disease, my dear. Individual cases have to be studied. Suppose we see how many present can give us hints, either from experience or observation. Who will give the first word? It was Lida Brownson again. I think we float downstream rather fast when we keep doing something that we more than half believe is doubtful, but we don't want to take time to settle it once for all. So do I, said another with emphasis. I have done just that thing, and I know. Well, but there are so many sides to a subject to be considered. It was the tall fair girl again. There, for instance, is one's influence over others. Suppose one had a brother, or a friend, the flush on her cheek deepened as she hesitatingly spoke the word, who was fond of the theatre, and wanted you to go with him to perfectly unobjectionable plays, and felt that you were narrow and selfish and all that if you wouldn't go, and you knew that you were likely to lose what influence you had by refusing him. Isn't that a difficult side to consider?" Mrs. Reese smiled. "'At least it is a side that is always being considered,' she said. "'I am wondering how many there are here who have already been called upon to give it more or less thought and experiment.' To Mary Brown's surprise, more than a score of hands answered her. May I ask two more questions, she said. First, who has a word of encouragement for us in a story of one who seemed to have been helped by the sort of compromise which Miss Alice's question suggests? Not a hand responded. Instead, there were grave shakings of one or two heads, and several of the girls exchanged meaningful smiles. This is significant, said Mrs. Reese. Think what it tells us. Here are at least twenty-five young women who report that they have given thought to this matter, and it is fair to infer that they have experimented more or less. Yet no one has a triumph to record, nor apparently an encouraging word. Now for the other question. How many of you have conversed with young men and young women who were not Christians themselves, but who were very sure that Christians who indulge in the popular amusements of the day are inconsistent with their religious professions? Oh, said Faye Willis, shall we put up both hands to stand for a multitude of experiences? It is simply startling to find out how sure they all are of that when one gets down to real opinions even those who at first try to make you change your base and not allow yourself to be narrow. 
As she spoke, she lifted both hands, and a number of others, half laughing, followed her lead. "'It is a very unanimous vote,' said Fay, looking down the line. "'I wonder if it answers your question, Allie.' "'At least I cannot bring any testimony against the verdict,' the girl said, trying to smile. But she looked troubled, and her admission seemed to be made reluctantly. And then, to Mary Brown's disappointment, the talk flowed into other channels. She had been more than interested. Her astonishment was great. These girls with their extraordinary experiences were bewildering. Why should they not attend the theater as often as they chose? Of course there were plays that no self-respecting woman wanted to hear or see, and being an honest young woman she frankly admitted to herself that there were many such. She even, on thinking further, added that among most of the favorites there were portions that might well be omitted, but such wholesale condemnation as these people were giving was ridiculous. When she again gave attention to the circle, the topic was the social dance. But here Miss Brown was in sympathy with the most advanced narrowness. She had not lived in the fashionable world for a dozen years or more without discovering the offensive side of this popular amusement, and without having to do with young girls, the bloom of whose maidenhood had been sullied by its influence. If this can be said of girls, she had asked herself early in her experience, what must one familiar with fashionable society admit with regard to men? It is true that she had never thought of this subject in connection with religion, and she told herself now that she did not understand what that word had to do with it. There was certainly enough to be said on the score of refinement and morality. "'But the square dances are only promenades,' one girl was saying defensively, when she began again to give heed. "'But the waltzes are something more.' added Lida Brownson quickly. "'Oh, I don't waltz,' said the girl, "'and I think a certain kind of dancing tolerated in our set is simply disgusting, but still to condemn them all—' "'We were speaking of our influence, my dear,' said Mrs. Reese gently. "'If you confine yourself to the unexceptionable dances, and to the perfectly unexceptionable persons for your associates, where will your influence be quoted when the subject is up for discussion in other circles than yours? Is the line between the kinds so distinctly drawn and so well understood?' that even the young and thoughtless will make no mistake as to your position? "'Oh, dear,' said the girl in a serio-comic tone, "'I know what you think, and I almost know I am wrong. But isn't it a dreadful bore to have to be always thinking about those silly, weak-minded other people who cannot stand on their own principles but are always toppling over to be propped up by mine?' She was only half in earnest, but the reply was tender and grave. "'Shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died?' The question had an instant and to the one who realized herself as an outsider, an amazing effect. "'No,' said the girl, who had been only half-serious, with an earnestness that carried conviction with it. "'Not if any word or act or influence of mine can help prevent it.' Her voice broke with the last word, and some of the girls were brushing away tears. Faye Willis spoke impulsively. "'Oh, girls, if we could only remember that! When I think of Jesus Christ—' of who he is, and what he sacrificed, and how he lived, and how he died for the sake of others. My own life seems so small and selfish and mean that I hate myself. What we need, after all, is the constant companionship of Christ. It would settle these and all other questions to be so near to him all the while that we should not have to stop and recall the fact that he is here, because we dwelt in the same atmosphere. I am just beginning to get a hint, a faint glimpse of the meaning of that verse. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Don't we content ourselves with visiting the Lord Jesus at stated intervals instead of dwelling with Him? I do so want to abide." And Lida Brownson said quickly, "'I know what you mean. I was wondering last night if I could not almost claim the blessed of those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. I think I never wanted abiding fellowship with the Master so much as I have since I came on these grounds.' 
Then a girl who had not heretofore spoken said simply, I want to pray, and bowed her head on her hand. The words she spoke were simplicity itself, as were the words of others who followed in quick succession. Yet one listening, who understood the analysis of prayer, would have been sure that the Lord was once more verifying His promise that where two or three were gathered because of Him, He would be in their midst. End of chapter 9